Good morning and welcome to Houghton Wesleyan Church. Will you please stand and participate with me in the call to worship? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Will you pray with me? We thank you, holy God, for gathering us into a people and calling us by your name. Make us to know, O Lord, that nothing can separate us from your love. Teach us this hour to know you better and to bear your image well, for the sake of this good world you have given us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Amen. We come to praise our God and to worship him today. We're glad that you are here. We want to invite you to take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today as well. It is uh, great to see you as we gather for worship today, those here and those joining us on streaming. Uh, there are some uh, inserts in your bulletin this morning. One of them, it says it's spring, but fall is coming. We're making plans for uh, the fall of ministries restarting in a variety of, of ways. And this is a time where we're planning and thinking. And so even if you're going to be gone through the summer, if you're going to be back in the fall, if you hear this is an opportunity for you to use your gifts and talents that God has given you, just uh, mark anything on the sheet that you have interest in, doesn't commit you to it, but at least to start a conversation, and you can drop that in the offering plate or hand it to me or one of the ushers after the service this morning. Uh, also, on the 20th, uh, which is two weeks from today, will be our, our time for the annual election of our leaders, and uh, there's, there are ballots posted around the church, and also in the back there's a booklet with the ballot and also pictures of the people who are on the ballot. Sometimes uh, with the three services, you may know a name, but not connected to a face. And so this will allow you to do that. So please feel free to pick up one of those as you leave today and be in prayer about this election. And there's also an insert about our community financial plan for the church. And Kim Poole, who is the uh, elder representative on the finance committee, is going to share a bit about that. Good morning. On behalf of the Finance Committee, I want to thank you for your generous tithes and offerings over the last year. We have been able to fully fund our ministries, um, maintain the upkeep of our building, support numerous missionaries and outreach programs. And this is largely in part to your consistent and increased giving over the last year. Looking forward to next year and planning for the necessary financial resources that we will need to continue and expand our outreach the elders are proposing and fully believe our church can support an increase in our budget. So in the uh, insert in your bulletin, we have our proposed 2018-2019 community financial plan. To highlight a few of the areas where we are uh, proposing increases, we are proposing a significant increase in local outreach programs, which um, includes the initiation of Celebrate Recovery, an increase for equipment related to improving our church safety, 2% salary increase for our staff and pastors, 3% increase for missionaries that we support, and modest increases to all of our church ministries as were proposed by each of those ministry leaders. So this results in a 4.9% increase. The Finance Committee and the elders understand that this is a step of faith, but that's exactly why we are proposing it. We are excited to see how God will supply for our needs as together we step out in faith to serve him and to serve one another. 
If you're interested in a more detailed description of the financial plan, uh, there's a sheet available in the foyer, or you can get a line-by-line description from the church office as well. So we're asking that you pray over this proposed financial plan. Also pray over your own time, treasures, and talents, and how God might be asking you to give more generously, and then to cast your vote for this plan on Sunday, May 20th. Thank you.
Old Testament reading today is from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Will you please stand with me to sing the doxology as our ushers come forward to collect our tithes and offerings. us courage, Lord, to share boldly of what you have given us, trusting you to meet our needs. And teach us to share humbly for the sake of others and caring not for our own reputations. Please take what we give today and use it to bless others. Amen.
Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to the truth of our frailty and fallibility. Give us courage to admit when we are wrong and courage to seek forgiveness from those who have been hurt by our sinful ways. Forgive our stubbornness, our closed-mindedness, our arrogance, and our apathy toward others. Fill us with the grace and truth of your Holy Spirit that we might think, see, and act more like Christ, through whom we pray. Amen. Father, we thank you for the gifts you've given us in Christ, certainly not the least of which is the forgiveness of our sins. We come today acknowledging that we owe all that we are to you. Come in gratitude and thanksgiving. We also come recognizing that you are at work in this world and we want to be a part of what you are doing. And one of the ways we do that is through prayer. So, Father, we pray for the needs and the burdens of our lives and our world. We pray for those who are grieving today. And we think especially of Troy Martin and his family at the loss of his brother and his father within the last few weeks. Comfort them and others who are grieving with your presence. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns. We pray for John Christensen, Leonard Watson, Florence Tuber, Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, Tim Nichols, Bob Brown, Louise Princell, Nancy Cole, Brian Orbacher, Peter Lingenfelter, Cheryl O'Brien, Ben King, Doris Esepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Bill Getty, Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Emily Cricklar, and others. Bring your healing grace to each of them. We pray, Father, that where there are relationships that are fractured, you would bring restoration and healing. Where we are worried and concerned about the future, give us your peace. Lead us and guide us. In all of life, may we sense you near. May we sense you at work. We pray, Father, for our nation and particularly those who are recovering from recent disasters and struggles. We think of the folks in Hawaii with this volcano eruption. We pray for those in other countries of the world who also face difficulties from tragedies and disasters. May your presence and your people be evident in each place. We pray, Father, that, that you will be at work in this world of chaos, that you will bring peace where there is violence, and that you would bring help to refugees, that they would find places to live and, and security and safety. We thank you for the ministry of Stephen Ruth Strand as they work in Buffalo, much of their ministry among refugees. Give strength and blessing to them as they work and serve you and bear witness to you among very needy people in a needy place. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who, who face opposition, and we think especially for those who are new Christians. And the opposition is strong and powerful. 
We ask that you would give them courage. We ask that you would give them strength. Give them faith and help them to have a new vision of you. And surround them with other disciples who will love them and care for them and help them. That they would bear witness of you to people in their lives. Father, we thank you for the ministry of this church. We thank you for uh, the work that you are doing. You've helped us financially this year. And as we look to the next year, fill us with faith. And Father, we thank you for the ministry you're doing in churches around us. And we pray today for the Angelic United Methodist Church and Pastor Crowell. Pour out your blessing upon this congregation of believers as they serve you and each other and their community. May they know your blessing. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for being active and at work in our lives and in this whole world that you've created and love. Be glorified as we continue to worship you, offering this prayer in the name of our our Lord and Savior and returning King, Jesus Christ, the one who gives us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
reading from the New Testament this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, instead, instead with our heavenly dwelling, oh, for while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. We probably have a variety of feelings from time to time about our bodies and our minds. On the one hand, we probably have moments when we're very grateful that we're able to accomplish things, that we're able to think about things and process things. But there are also a lot of times where we feel negative about our bodies and minds. Our bodies become broken. We feel pain. Eventually, we all know that uh, our bodies are going to come to the point of death. And, and we sense our bodies, particularly as we get older, faltering and failing. But in addition to that, I think one of our struggles with our bodies and minds is that, for the most part... Everything we do that we would call sin is connected to our bodies and our minds. Our attitudes, our actions, our words. The things that we do when we think about, we think about, ponder the sins we commit and the ways in which we disobey or we hurt people, it's related to our bodies and our minds. And after a while, we get to the place where we really would like to be free from that. And I think out of that mindset has come the idea in the past few centuries that the new heaven and the new earth, the idea of heaven, the, the, the kingdom of God coming to fruition and us inhabiting that place is primarily escape from our bodies and our minds. That we can leave those things because not only do we think about the fact that our bodies and minds are connected to sin, we start thinking that our bodies and minds are sinful. And so we want to escape them. And we live with this very dualistic kind of mindset that we don't even realize that, that our bodies and things material are evil and the spirit is good. And we make that separation. And then we read scripture and we find that God has a different perspective about our bodies and our minds. In the passage in Genesis, we read a few moments ago, when God gets to the end of all of his creating. And on that sixth day, creating human beings, he looks at all of it and says, this is very good. God creates our bodies and minds as a gift. They are good Now, our sin has corrupted them. We have allowed them to be corrupted. We make corrupting choices. But our bodies are good. And our minds are good. They're gifts of God. And the significance of that, when we start thinking about the resurrected life, is that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, as well as other places, but particularly there, he says, if there is no resurrection of the body, then there really is no resurrection at all. If, if our bodies are not going to be resurrected into the new heaven and new earth, and we live with some form of bodies, probably a lot like Jesus' resurrected body, 
then there is no resurrection at all, and we're fools. Jesus' resurrected body, he could see and talk and walk, and people could touch him, and he could eat, and he could drink, and people recognized him. There is something of that more than likely in our resurrected bodies. But when we think about the new heaven and new earth, we will not just be spirits. We will have bodies and minds. And so Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 2, we grow weary in our present bodies. We understand that. We long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. And what Paul is telling us is, in that day, it will not be escape from our bodies and minds. It will be God's restoration of our bodies and minds. He will make them new. He will make them what he created them to be and then some. And we will experience that eternal life with him in these gifts that God has given us. I think about these restored bodies often when I encounter people who are particularly broken in body and mind. And my heart laments and I grieve for, for what they endure and what they're facing and, and what they're having to deal with. And those who love them are having to deal with. And then I am reminded of Paul's words. And I get this vision of people who I see broken bodies coming to life and being restored and made new. And minds that have deteriorated being made new. And I find that it changes my perspective about how I view people now because of what God has promised for us then. It reminds us that God values our bodies and minds and that we ought to treat them with respect and honor and dignity, our own and everybody else's. And quite frankly, so much of our sin is related to treating people with disrespect and dishonor. But that's our sin. It's not a coincidence that when you look through the history of the world, the primary movers and shakers for building hospitals and creating clinics is the church. Because Christians have a view of the body of of honor and respect and that we believe that God heals bodies. Every time Jesus heals someone that we read about in the Gospels, it's a glimpse of what that day is going to be like. It's going to be awesome. And our calling now is to be a part of that process, to be agents of healing and restoration and hope Not just for souls, as important as that is, but for every part of our being. Because when we get to the new heaven and new earth, we will be fully human, finally. I didn't used to think that. Again, with that escapist mentality, with that dualistic kind of perspective, to be fully human felt like we're going to be fully sinful. 
No, to be fully human is to be what God created us to be. You look back at Genesis chapter 1 and you see the life of Adam and Eve and and the connection they had with God and the intimacy they had with God and the life that they lived there. And it will be that and a million times more. We will finally be what God created us to be as human beings who think clearly without the obstacles of sin, who act in the way that we, we are, we're created to, without the obstacles of sin. And we will be fully human. We will experience life abundant, as Jesus describes. I was reading recently, someone was talking about this, and they said, you know, when you think about it, we often talk about this is life now, we're living now, and that's true. But they said, actually, that day, the new heaven and new earth... That is life. That's really life. That's really living. And maybe instead of calling that the afterlife, what we ought to say is this is the before life. And I like that. And the the life that is to come influences the before life that we live now. And God's great plans for us. And I've been pondering that and wondering, just thinking about what, what might that look like? What might it be like to, to live in this bodily resurrection with restored minds and bodies for all of eternity? And I'm coming to the conclusion that, that maybe, what if, when we arrive in the, in the kingdom, and when that Jesus ushers in the kingdom... And we inhabit the new heaven and new earth. What if we are not instantaneously perfect about everything in terms of our knowledge? I wonder, I've been pondering this, and it makes me wonder if maybe, maybe we won't know every single thing that can be possibly known. For one reason, because that would, in a sense, make us God. If we know everything there is to know, and we know about everything that there is to know, then we are equal with God. And while we are created in the image of God, we are not created as God. And I wonder if we won't spend all of eternity just sort of unraveling all of these awesome things about who God is. And we wake up every morning saying, I can't wait to find out something new about God today. I can't wait for God to reveal something amazing to me today that I didn't realize yesterday. And it's different in the sense that now we see that as a problem. But a lack of knowledge is not a problem. Lack of knowledge is not a sin. It's just the way life progresses. I mean, I don't expect my granddaughter to understand all the intricacies of the various atonement theories. That doesn't mean that she's sinful because she doesn't know that. It's because she just hasn't gotten to the place where she's been able to understand it yet. That's not brokenness. That's just not knowing. And you think about the joy of discovery. 
Whatever it is, it's learning something, doing something, being involved in something. There is such great joy in accomplishment, such great joy in understanding things that we didn't understand before. All you have to do is watch a little child that, for the first time, writes her name on a piece of paper and comes to you and says, look what I just did. Now, we could say to her, you know what, I was doing that a long time ago. No big deal, right? But we don't. We get all excited. Why? Because they're excited. They learned something that they did. They did something that they weren't able to do before. And there is such great joy in that. I think that might be one of the reasons Jesus says the kingdom's like a, being like a little child. It's this joy of discovery. And instead of becoming sour and somber about what we don't know now, we ought to be rejoicing and celebrating in all the things that God does reveal to us now. And all the new ways that we can understand God. All I know is that heaven is a place of joy. And one of the gifts God has given us that creates joy is discovery. It's accomplishing. And our God loves to create. All you have to do is look out around you. And he made us as creatures in his image to create And we get joy in creating whatever it is that you're creating. There is such great joy in that. And it just makes sense to me to think that we will spend eternity continuing to create. As a means of honoring God and walking in his ways. If if we... If we know, there is a sense that if we know everything there is to be known, if we've experienced everything there is to experience, if we have come to the place where we have reached every, the fullest level of spiritual knowledge and maturity that can be possible, then in a sense, we've come to the place where we no longer need God. And if heaven is anything, it is the place where everyone is there because they have recognized life is only possible because of our connection to God. It struck me recently, Adam and Eve, before they sin, need God just as much as after. I mean, what is it that gives them life before they sin? It's their relationship with God. And the alternative to that is they say, we don't need God. We can do it ourselves. And I think that's what Genesis 3, one of the things Genesis 3 is telling us that happened in the garden. Is that they said, we don't need God anymore. We're good. They need him. It's not because we sin that we need God. It's because we're created that we need God. And we might, instead of looking at that as some need we have, we see that as the relationship that God wants to have with us. God could have created us as people completely, completely disconnected from him. But he doesn't. He creates us as people with relationship with him. And he wants to be connected to us and us to him. And all of eternity is that connection. And the people who are in heaven, the people who inhabit the new heaven and new earth, the people who inherit the kingdom of God are the people who want relationship with God. Not the way we designed it, but the way he designed it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want what God wants. 
All of our life is about Him. All of our existence is about Him. The argument that Jesus has with the Pharisees, his problem with them, is that they, they do everything they're supposed to do, but they don't need God. And you look around, all these people, they don't know half the things that the Pharisees know, but they have come to the place of recognizing they need Jesus. And those are the people to whom Jesus says, you're going to be with me forever. I mean, in many ways, it's, it's really the underlying idea of holiness. I mean, what is holiness? Where does it begin except, I need Jesus? And the minute we, can, we think we don't need Jesus, that's not holiness. That's something else entirely. The most holy people I know are the people who live their lives in a spirit of humility, and a spirit of surrender to God, a spirit of surrender to Jesus, a spirit of self-sacrifice and self-giving, that their lives are all about Jesus because they realize anything good in them is only because of Jesus. There's a lot of supposition about heaven, but one thing we know for certain is the center of all of it is Jesus. There may be things that we disagree about or things that we're still trying to explore and we're learning and we're growing and we're trying to figure things out, but the one thing we know for certain is that everything about heaven comes back to Jesus. And so when you read the book of Revelation, right at the beginning, chapter 1, It says, Jesus is Lord over all the kings of the earth. And Jesus is worthy to receive honor and blessing and riches and power and wisdom and strength. He's the king. And everything about eternity is about Jesus. Everything about our lives will be about worshiping Jesus. And we've been talking about the things that we may think and we may do and we may experience... But even when we're doing all of that, all of it is a means of worshiping Jesus. Our eyes will always be on Jesus. You know, we sometimes sing, when when I was young, we used to sing the little chorus, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth were strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When we get to heaven, we don't have to say, turn your eyes upon Jesus. We will turn our eyes on Jesus. Everything about Jesus. And we will be embraced by the glory of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and the truth of Jesus and everything about our existence, our minds and our bodies and our spirits and every part of our being will be about Jesus because he's worthy. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that summarizes all of our existence. But worshiping him is not just standing and gazing at him. It's not just singing songs to him. It's all of life. All of our existence in in the new heaven and new earth, whatever that may be, will be about worshiping Jesus. Which is why all of life now It's about worshiping Jesus. We don't just worship Jesus when we come here on Sundays, as important as that is. And then we walk out and we don't think about Jesus until next Sunday at 11 o'clock. The call of the gospel is we worship Jesus every moment. 
We worship Jesus in our homes. We worship Jesus in places we work, in places we shop, our relationships, our interactions. Everything that we do is about worshiping Jesus. That's our life as disciples of Jesus. That's what defines us as disciples of Jesus, that we want to worship him with every part of our being. And I'm convinced that one of the most significant ways we worship him is by following the love commandment of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. In John 13, Jesus says, or Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And then he says, what I've done for you, you do for each other. And just a few minutes later, he says, here's how people will know you're my disciples. If you love each other. If you serve each other. That's why John writes in his, in his first letter, you can't love God and not love people. It's, they, they, just, they go hand in hand. And it seems to me that our eternal existence will be about loving and serving because those are not things that God says, this is what, what, what I want you to do on earth and then we'll put an end to that and we'll do something else in heaven. These are kingdom ideas. These are kingdom principles. This is what the kingdom is about. Loving God, loving others, serving God, serving others. John Watson, who is a Scottish Presbyterian pastor in the 19th century once said that when we, that Jesus spent his life trying to address false ideas. And, and not because so much they were wicked, but because they were temporary. He says when Jesus addresses the truth and teaches the truth, it's not just that it's good, but because it's eternal. And the thing that Jesus says to us, the way that Jesus describes the kingdom, the way Jesus himself lives his life, is about loving and serving. Because that's the nature of our God who loves us and who gives himself for us. And I think that will be our eternal joy to love and serve. You know, now we wrestle with it. Kierkegaard said, Lord, help me to love the love commandment. We have to pray that prayer and we have to ask God to help us because often we don't want to love and serve. But in the new heaven and new earth, we will find the deepest sense of joy in loving and serving God and loving and serving each other. It will be, it will be an essence of worshiping God because it's the essence of the kingdom. You know, back to the beginning. Sometimes we struggle with our bodies and our minds. And we struggle to understand them. We struggle to see the place that they have as followers of Jesus. And that's why I think it is so profound that when Jesus leaves us an image, a vision of the kingdom, he leaves us this table. It's fascinating to me that the first miracle Jesus performs is not the healing of the sick or the raising of the dead or even words of forgiveness of sins. It's, it's saving a wedding feast. And when you get to the last thing Jesus does with his disciples before he goes to the cross, he gathers them around a table and says, let's eat together. 
I've been dying to eat this meal with you. And you get to the book of Revelation, chapter 19. And what does John see? He says, I looked and I saw in heaven all the peoples of the nations coming together, seated around the table of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Jesus says to his disciples in Luke 22, you've stood by me, you've hung in there, you've given your lives to me, and here's the privilege I'm giving you. You are going to eat and drink with me in my eternal kingdom. Our bodies are a gift of God that he wants to use for his glory. And if that is what the new heaven, the new earth is going to be, what are we doing with our bodies and our minds now? Paul says we ought to think on heavenly things because when we think on heavenly things, it changes how we think about earthly things. So as we contemplate that day, what are we doing with our bodies and our minds as a means of worshiping God, loving Him, loving others, serving Him, serving others to the glory of God in Jesus Christ? Holy Father, we thank you for the gifts that you've given us. We thank you for bodies and minds that can engage with you and with each other. And we don't always understand all of the things that you've done for us and all the promises you've made for us. But Father, we come today offering ourselves to you. We pray, Father, that as we come to this table, your blessing will rest upon the bread and the cup. That as we eat and drink, our bodies, our minds, our souls will be fed to your glory. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven. And he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you are released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, we have trays of bread and cups in the back. We're happy to serve you. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. Just let me know if you would like those as you come forward. We practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. If you've come today with your heart open to Christ, with a desire for your, your body, mind, soul, and spirit to be made holy in him and given to him, come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, heavenly Father.
Take my voice and let me sing, always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from me, filled with messages from me. Take my silver and my gold, not a Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet. Treasure sore, take myself and I will be ever only all for thee, ever only all for
receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.